It's Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom. I want to talk to you about three entirely different things today. I'm just going to cut it up a little bit. The first part of this podcast is about our parents and just what do they really mean to us or did they mean to us if they're no longer here? Can we be 100% honest with ourselves about that particular subject? Just what did do they mean to us? Secondly, I need to rant just for a minute, maybe eight, about my dog and bugs. I've talked to you about bugs before, and you know I don't like them. In fact, I hate them. But When you put the dog and the bug together in the same story, it becomes entertaining, if not annoying. I promise not to annoy you, but every time I tell you a story, you're learning a little bit more about my personality, you see? And as a result, I want to know more about you. So feel free anytime to drop me a line, whether you email me at robinmarshallsugarmom at gmail.com or you write on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to, there's a little place where it says comments. Leave me a note there. Tell me how you feel. Tell me what you think. Maybe you think I am just ridiculous. I don't have a problem with knowing it. Just tell me. And the third piece of this podcast consists of little tips for men, things they should not do on a first date. Now, this is all coming from the Huffington Post. These are real statistics, and these are real comments that women have made, and I guarantee you will agree with the majority. So if your husband's around, grab him by the ear and pull him up close to the radio so he can hear (laughs) what not to do. I know it's not the first date anymore, but he still shouldn't do these things, even after 20 years of marriage. I'm just saying. Anytime you feel like reaching out, I'm here. And if you do decide to email me instead of writing on the podcast platform, everything is private. It's just you and me. Robin Marshall, sugar mom at gmail.com. So let me begin by talking about our parents. When do we ever stop being the children <laughs> when you think about it? It's always the parents. And depending upon the type of relationship you had with your mom and dad growing up makes the difference as to what kind of child you become later in life. Really, think about it. I had the greatest mom when I was young. Little girl. My sister, too. She'd take us to the library every day. We'd be able to take as many books out as we wanted. There was no limit She taught us how to color, how to outline, how to color in brilliant jewel tones, not just faded colors that look like watercolors. She taught us to stand up for ourselves, be passionate, never take no for an answer if there's a reason behind why it could work. She taught us to be proud of ourselves and not to have to wait for somebody else to say so. (laughs) All these things. And then the older we got, the worse she became. And during my teen years, 
it was just, to me, a nightmare. My father was no picnic either, I'll tell you. But the sad part about this whole thing is, it took me getting to be her age now to understand why she was so miserable to us then. It wasn't us, her children, that she hated or didn't like or resented. It was her marriage. It was her spot in life. It was her poor decisions. She was mad at herself for making all the wrong choices and letting herself be stuck there. I guess that's what grew this sugar mom concept in my head. I absolutely refused to let myself be in the position that my mom allowed herself to wind up in. Not that my dad was a bad guy. I mean, he was a great dad when I was young. In fact, he favored me probably more than my mom. That doesn't do very much for a relationship between mother and daughter. It happens. But looking back and watching all the craziness that went on between them, the non-demonstrative nothing. Never did I hear the words, I love you, whispered between the two of them. I don't even think they ever had sex, and they were young. I mean, they had sex twice, but I think that's it. And it's not just me, that young child, not wanting to know. I really believe this. And I think that's why she was so angry. I just don't think they were a match sexually. So this brings me to the crux of this conversation. Can you honestly say, if you did not come from that Partridge family background, or that June Cleaver, Leave it to Beaver (laughs) background, and there were discrepancies in your family, hardships, emotional hardships. The older we get, I don't think our parents get any better. I think they get worse. I think with me, it got to the point where I had just thrown my hands up in the air and said, enough already. I just can't take it. I just couldn't take it. And I would find myself dreading when the phone would ring and I would see my mom or my dad's name pop up because I was never good enough. Never. I never felt like I measured up. Even as an adult, I never let my kids know this because amazingly, my dad was the best grandpa ever. (laughs) Go figure. My mom, you know, she didn't come visit as often as most grandmothers would. And if and when she did bless us with her existence in person, she would put locks around the house so that nobody could leave. She held court. (laughs) That did not go over well. (laughs) But but I'm just saying, it's, it's just not easy as they get older. Or maybe it's just not easy as we get older. Or maybe the whole concept just doesn't work. Oh, I don't mean to sound like a spoiled brat, because I know that 
I gained many, many things from both that are positives. But I think a lot of the positive was my own strength and my own need for survival. So here I sit talking about both parents who are deceased. And I don't really think that I have mourned properly for either of them. And I see my mom when I look at myself in the mirror. And I see my dad's face as I say the wrong thing. Because he used to always tell me my mouth was going to get me in trouble one day. And, you know, so what? Oh, maybe it did. But who cares? All I know is I did not mourn properly. I was the executor for both of their estates. There wasn't anything left. It was a lot of grief. Let me just warn you now. Have your parents do a little foresight and take care of things beforehand to take some of that weight off of your shoulders. And I know it's not an easy subject to bring up with your folks, but maybe you can just pull it off because it doesn't give you time to mourn when you are trying to take care of their estate. And by the time you're done, depending upon how badly the estate was left in, you're so exhausted and burnt out from thinking as you're cleaning up about all the years that things just didn't go well and the feelings that you were never able to gain that closure from. So when you're done and it takes weeks and you look around and you see there's really nobody else to help you and even if there was, if you're like me, you're going to do it by yourself. Because nobody else will do it the way you want it done. And it's your own fault if you're like me because, hey, I don't want to look back and see a frayed or loose end that I didn't tuck away properly because those are the little things that will bother me for the rest of my life. So here I sit today, very honestly speaking. Some of you may call me disgusting. Some of you may say... What's wrong with her? How can she possibly say these things? But I do say, I have fleeting moments where I miss my parents. Fleeting. But not as many as I should. I feel relief. I feel, after all the mess was cleaned up with both of them, and no, you don't know the circumstances and... I'm really not a bad person, and no, they didn't do horrific things to me, but the circumstances were so draining. It wasn't just about losing a loved one or losing a parent. There was so much more involved that by the time it was all over, I was relieved. The weight had been lifted off of my shoulders, and I wonder how many people out there can admit to the same thing. How do you take care of your parent for so many years when they become infantile and you become the adult? How it's role reversal when, when they're sick. Don't you feel a drop of relief after they pass? Because it's physically exhausting, let alone mentally exhausting. I don't know. 
What did my mom used to say? You're too big for your britches. And my dad used to say, You and that mouth of yours. <laughs> well, I got it both from them. And my kids have gotten it all from me. So there's five mini-me's out there that are probably going to grow up and talk about me and their father exactly the same way. I could just hear them now. Oh my God, she was so freaking high maintenance. Oh my God, he was the most stubborn man that could never let go of a grudge. <laughs> oh, as long as I can keep it in that perspective and laugh about it, just don't let me see them do it to me now while I'm living. <laughs> Maybe this is just one of the stages of grief <laughs> where I'm still not grieving. It's a stage of the grief. I need to go back and look that up. Anyway, I just wondered if any of you felt the same way about your situation or your parents. And if so, you know, pull up your keyboard, write me, tell me how you feel. It's not always about fun and games with me. It's not always about sex. It's not always about seduction. I just talk about things that are in my heart, in my brain, and subsequently on my tongue. <laughs> That's me. I'm Robin Marshall, and it was really nice to air this today, literally and figuratively. I feel like I aired a lot, and I feel better. <laughs> Okay, now, I'm going to lighten it up, as promised, and I'm going to talk to you about a bug that pretty much changed my life and the dog that is slowly driving me nuts. Ready? All I'm looking for is one day that I can call normal and eventless. Just one. By now, you all know that I have this fear of bugs and I was traumatized a few days ago, if you didn't hear, by this thing that had legs from here to tomorrow hanging from the ceiling where, you know, I pretty much lost my mind and the dog did too as a result of me. And just when things started to calm down, last night before bed, I saw one of those things flying around my house again. And there we are, same position, same MO, dog and Robin looking up looking at the ceiling, just watching to see where it went. And I'm trying to keep my eye on it as I'm shuffling into the kitchen where I have a piece of paper or something that I can swat or throw at it again. Again, this is happening. I'm getting a doggy door. That's all there is to it. I am not leaving that back door open anymore. Lost sight of that bug last night. Closed my bedroom door because I didn't want to take a chance that it might fly in there while we were sleeping. And today, I went to let her out not 15 minutes ago. I opened up the back door that has glass from the top to the bottom. And as I'm opening the door, there is that bug on the bottom panel of glass. And I see it. And as I turn my head to look for something, the doggy eats it. Oh, my God. Not only did she eat it, it was hanging out of her mouth. 
I'm screaming. I'm waving my arms around like an idiot that I am. And she is looking at me with her ears all in different directions. And this thing has legs. It's hanging out of her mouth. I'm now reduced to turning my back and talking to her from behind so I can't see her. And I'm explaining to her, lick your lips. (laughs) Oh, my God. I need to live in a bubble. That's going to be the next Sugar Mom episode. When is it time in your life to live in a bubble? And just how in the world do you step out once you're inside? Dear God, it's not easy being me. And I kept it short. I just had to get it out. I can't even look at her anymore. All I see are legs. And I wonder, did she get stung? Oh, too much to handle. And I think, oh my God, I was fine, close to normal before I got this dog. Now that I have the dog, I'm constantly going in and out and things are flying in and out, pretty much staying in. I just wonder if I shouldn't have gotten her. My life was so calm. And she shit on my green screen. As long as I'm ranting. I just couldn't believe it. She has the whole house to go to the bathroom in, which I'm trying to train her not to do. And she picks my green screen, the part that's on the carpet. Shoot me now. Somebody put me out of my misery. Okay. In the beginning of the podcast, I told you I was going to change it up a few times. And I wanted to talk to you about dating tips for your guy. So if they're anywhere nearby, pull them in close to the speaker because maybe they'll take it from somebody else, advice that you've been trying to tell them for years. Maybe they'll listen to somebody else. Don't say that I have never tried to help. I'm trying here. Okay, so these things matter to women. All right, if it comes from the Huffington Post then you know it's worth listening to. They asked women what they wish men would do on first dates. Here are seven of the best responses. One, actually ask her out on a date, not just to hang out or chill. Also, hold the door open for her and pull out her chair. Chivalry is not dead, not in a woman's mind. Admit you're nervous too, so she knows she's not the only one. Doesn't that make sense? Put your phone away. That's a really big deal. I don't know where I just read this, but there were statistics written that people have their phones in front of their faces more than two-thirds of their day. I was thinking about that. Do you know how much of the world you miss because you're looking at your phone? Walking down the street, you should be looking around, enjoying the sights. Instead, many, many people are just typing away on their phone. Driving. I don't even want to talk about it. You know not to text and drive. On a date. As per this conversation, why would you look at your phone when you're supposed to be spending attention on the person sitting across from you? It's just disrespectful. Put your phone away. Also, Don't talk about your sex life. She doesn't want to know. Not on a first date. Trust me on that one. Actually listen to her responses after you ask a question. 
Don't ask the question and pretend like she doesn't have an answer so that you can talk about something else. It's called communications. And furthermore, don't ever ask a question that you're not prepared to hear the answer for. So I wouldn't ask her how many sexual partners have you had. Because if she says 25, you're stuck with the bill and another two hours to go on your date. <laughs> Finally, don't examine the bill when you receive it like you're itemizing what each person ordered. That kind of shows that you're maybe cheap. Women don't like cheap men. Not every woman is out there for the money. Trust me on that one, too. But they certainly don't want one that's constantly looking for a bargain. Because she's not a bargain. And now I would like to bid you adieu. Thank you so much for sharing time and spending quality minutes with me. It's always my pleasure. And I hope you enjoyed yourself. It wouldn't be the same for me without you. So there you have it. It's Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom. Back to work I go. Bye. Oh. A Westwood One podcast production.